Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, as well as hitting the like button and the notification bell so you never miss a video. If you prefer audio format, search Gifted Performance on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting service and subscribe today. Make sure you also rate and review the podcast as that helps us out tremendously. Enjoy the podcast and stay gifted. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practice to your own. And now you get that we are making that GPP to GPP. I feel like it's underappreciated. So please comment below and let us know that you appreciate the GPP, us putting the G all up in your PP. Um, YouTube emailed me the other day. So YouTube, you guys get like emails from like YouTube creators where they like tell you how to like make good YouTube content. They told me that I should tell people to like, comment and subscribe in the beginning of the video. So here you go, YouTube creators, do all that like, comment, subscribe stuff. Do it right now because this video is going to blow your butthole out. Paul, are you ready to blow buttholes? That's all I do, man. All I do, 24 hours a day. How's everybody else doing? Hey, happy birthday to Dom. It was Dom's birthday. We just had Dom's birthday pass. So by the time this episode goes out, it'll be well in the past. But Dom, happy birthday, man. Did you get everything you wanted for your birthday? I did. I bought myself a birthday present. (laughs) Perfect. You get to a certain age where that just becomes the birthday. I'm going to gift myself the best possible gift. What'd you get? iPad? iPad thingy. Wow. Nice. Nice. Jay, you're running out of birthdays, aren't you? Almost. <laughs> 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 I think we've got two or three left. I don't know. I got to check my lap. <laughs> check the birthday ticker. I don't know. What episode are we on? 15? Yeah, we're on episode 15. Feels like episode of fucking 5,000 with you guys. Every one of these just takes years off my life. So here we go. Yeah, Let's I'm not, do it. <laughs> I'm not making it to 17 for sure. We've got, will we finish them all? Who knows? But we've got two nutrition questions today and two training questions. Actually, the last one is kind of like a mixture of the two, a little bit of nutrition and a little bit of training in there. But let's not waste any time. Let's jump in right here. First question comes from someone that we all know and most definitely love. Sometimes we hate him. Most of the time we definitely love him because he is a character. Um, good old Joey. What's Joey's last name? Porcelli? Mm-hmm. Last name? Okay. Joey Porcelli. Joey underscore two times underscore asks, why do some bodybuilders eat 400 plus grams of protein? Paul, why do they do that? Why do they do that? People do all kinds of crazy shit, man. That's yes, that you're not wrong there. Was anyone else here a 400 gram of protein boy back in the day? I was. Dude, I had this phase uh, in the army, man. When like I hadn't grown very much over like uh, six months to a year, and I I don't know where I got this fucking idea, but I just woke up one day and I was like, I'm gonna have like 50 grams of protein. 
25 to 50 grams of protein every two hours for all waking hours, dude. And I would do that, man. And like, I'd have like a meal and then the next meal would be like one or two scoops of, uh, what was that? Iso, uh, Iso pure. Iso pure. Yeah, dude. It tasted like garbage, man. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was in the army at the time. So like, I'd have like 13 hour days and sometimes I'd have 24 hour, like, uh, uh, duties or whatever. So like I, I literally would just every two hours over that 24 hour period, dude, I'd slam 25 to 50 grams of protein. So I had to have had some, huh? 12 times 50 is what? 600? 600 Something grams of protein? Like that, dude. Like I had to have had like some, some 400 plus gram days, dude. And, uh, you know, what's crazy though is, uh, I, I had a giant growth spurt. Well, I guess it's not crazy. The influx of calories and going from probably like eating oh, no. for sure <laughs> enough for <laughs> magic. But I got so I weird. I also, I got pretty fat though. But I did fucking finally grow, man. And uh, then I took it to an even bigger extreme and just kept trying to eat more. And eventually, like, hit the the fattest like natural two hundred and fifty pounds with like a forty three inch waist. It was fucking horrendous. <laughs> Dumb. What's the highest you've ever taken your protein? You used to be uh, trained to failure every set. Don't sit there and make faces like you weren't about that bro shit. Uh, no, it, probably like three something, three fifty ish. I had a coach that had me up that high, and then I told him that the back, my water, my back felt like there's two water sacks in it, and every time I ate less protein, it went away. And he replied to me, "Well, we need protein to grow, so you're gonna eat it." <laughs> Damn. No names will be mentioned. Everyone that, knows them. That's the same coach that was like, hey, don't take weigh-ins. We're going to do this 100% by pictures. No, that was the year before. Oh, Dom. <laughs> you really just, just years ran through the years. winners. <laughs> Jay, your 400 yeah. grams of protein days, what were those like? Oh, that was earlier today, actually. <laughs> Breakfast. No. <laughs> no, no. Um, so there was a time where I got the bulk of my information from <clears throat> very credible sources, uh, such as muscular development magazine, uh, flex magazine. Those are the big ones back then. So they always put the good information there because at the time bodybuilders were being extremely truthful about how they were putting on size. <laughs> and one of those things was to eat two times plus your scale weight in protein, which made sense. More protein equals more muscle. It's a one-to-one ratio. That just Mm -hmm. seemed the, it it makes a ton of sense if you think about it. I don't know why there's a lot of questions about that at all, but it makes sense. So I would eat 400 plus grams of protein. This is not like a few months. This is like years of 400 plus grams of protein. And if anybody's met me in person, I kind of look like uh, if you were to take a giraffe and then somehow make like almost like a cross between a a giraffe and a human being and put them together, you know, and I thought for sure that this was going to bulk me up. And it turned out it just like in Paul's situation, it just made me fat. Um, I was doing (laughs) things like (laughs) this is so funny. I remember I was eating a one pound of whatever protein source it was, uh, chicken or beef, five to six times a day. And then I would wow. mix that with wheat pasta 
Oh. Oh, with, disgusting. with tomato sauce like with pasta sauce and i would eat this this was just what i ate and you know i got fat I, I think i went from like i've been 250 twice in my life and i think that's what helped me get there the first time was eating that much food um and it was just terrible and i was always wondering like why does my stomach hurt so bad i had like real bad acid reflux i was only like 22 years old or something like that none of it made any sense <laughs> and that's what it was. I mean, just this drive to eat a bunch of food, 400 grams of pr- I have no idea. That's before even tracking calories or macros was even a thing. I have no idea how much food I was eating, but I know for sure 400 plus grams of protein because that's the only macro that really made sense. If you don't need fruits, vegetables, any of those mm-hmm. things, you just need mm-hmm. a lot of protein. Boom. One gram yeah. of chicken breast or one ounce of chicken breast per pound of body weight, right? That's what we're shooting yeah. for. Yeah. And that what I ended up out. with, I remember I would start these bulking phases. Uh, so, I mean, I weigh like, I don't know, like 192 now. I competed like 170 pounds. So I would yeah, start you know, these. Yeah, bulk- you know what body you got? I, I don't want to interrupt you, but no body you got. You got that like Will Smith and I am legend body. Like <laughs> them long limbs, but that boy got some muscle on him. That pull-up scene, that pull-up scene is nice where he's for some reason sweating super profusely in his house. Just make sure if you are watching I Am Legend, just shut that shit off before his dog dies and then turn it back on unless you really want someone to chop some onions on you. Dom knows what I'm talking about. That's a tough scene. That's a tough one. Yeah, Jay, Jay, please please continue before I interrupted you. You said you're eating a pound of of chicken how many times a day? It was like, uh, I want to say it was four to five times a day, something like that. Is that a pound that? of chicken? What's that? That's got to be a pound, raw. A pound of raw chicken? Or cooked? At the time. I was probably going with cooked back then. Dude, a, a pound of a pound of cooked chicken is like 140 grams of protein, dude. I think it's like 112. <laughs> so I was, so I was getting a lot more protein. Actually, yeah. you know what? Yeah. So I think it was... Uh, that was probably was a pound un- of uncooked, which yeah. is pro- it was closer to 100 grams of protein. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I say pretty great on that one. And I remember I was working at a restaurant. And so, like, in the middle of the dinner rush, I would just, I had to stop. And I'd just be like in the back by the dishwasher, just like shoveling in food. A pound of chicken is not something that goes down easy. That's not. No. And so I read that somebody in, uh, somebody also, credible source, muscular development or something like that, um, he said that how we got it down was that he would just like treat it like a pill. So so you just put some chicken in your mouth, chew it up a little bit, and then just try to swallow it with water. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember like the world's strongest man back in the day? There was a fellow by the name of Derek Poundstone. And he used to talk yeah. about like his chicken shakes that he would do. And they were like, I think it was like 30 ounces of chicken blended in like 40 ounces of water. And he would drink it it's like, yeah, man, like this is the only way I can get in the amount of protein that I need. And like <laughs> when I was like 14, I was like, damn, this dude's a badass. And then he would eat like a foot long meatball sub during his workout. Like, What can this guy not do? He's amazing. <laughs> Can you imagine a Dutch oven from that fellow or even worse, the Dutch microwave? Are you guys familiar with the Dutch microwave? You're not. So that's a fart into a pillowcase and then you pull it over the person's head. 
Oh, it's like what a, have you done to Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy has some serious d- damage. The Jimmy you see in front of you today is a far cry from when she met me. Battered she was so full of joy. <laughs> Can you get pink eye from something like that? Yeah, like poop that's, one, that's definitely one side effect. And when you're eating a pound of chicken five times a day, oof. That's why Jimmy's like every day. She's like, I don't know why I've had chronic allergies for the past <laughs> fucking. <laughs> eyes are so itchy. <laughs> that is something she says very frequently. Um, no, but so it's all night. Like the number that I hear people say all the time when they come around to this question is like that 350 to 400 grams of protein number. How do, how do you guys think that people came upon that number, that 350 or 400? Like, what was the math that allowed people to arrive at that number? It wasn't just some, like, random, like, uh, spin the wheel and 350 or 400. That's a good number. How did people arrive at this number? I mean, it was probably just like anything in bodybuilding. They always thought more was better. <laughs> no, for real. I, I think it went a lot how my mindset was as a young idiot bodybuilder was uh, went from having more sporadic eating habits uh, to eating more protein and eating more regularly and then being like, wow, this, this fucking did something more. If we do more, then we will get more. And you just keep going, and then eventually you're like, yeah, two grams per pound. It's what you got to do. That's Yeah, that's the math that I think makes the most sense to me. It was like people that thought they like latched onto that leucine saturation at 50 grams of protein per meal. They had to eat seven times a day, thus 350. Or it was Jay's version, which was take your body weight, multiply it by two, and there you go. The funny thing was back then, I didn't even pay attention to like the bolus of food. I just knew that I needed to eat a shit ton of protein and I knew I needed to eat six times a day. Those are the two, those are the only two variables that really made sense. Protein, six times. That's it. And then you kind of just, you adjust things from there. No, and I think you do have a point too when it comes to what you said, Ryan, and what you just said is like people cling to really easy numbers. So they're like, 50 grams, that's a good number. That's got to be enough protein and a good amount. And then they eat that five or six times a day, and they're like, okay, I'm at my 300-plus grams or whatever, you know? And I think, hear me out. Devil's advocate here, that's probably not that bad of advice for someone just getting into lifting weights. Like, getting someone into the habit of eating enough or maybe slightly too much protein or more than they need probably isn't the worst advice that you can give someone when they first start lifting weights it's to grow also muscle not a bad idea for somebody who's like maybe 275 pounds yeah <laughs> and i think and dude i think that's where a lot of that i mean i i guess I was in a different generation, but back then it was like, you only really had those magazines to get a lot of information. You know, I remember like Lane Norton was probably my first exposure to someone using science to get there. So back in the day, you just did whatever Ronnie Coleman did. And Ronnie Coleman was eating 200 or I'm sorry, he's probably eating 300, 400 grams of protein because he weighed 325 pounds on the off season. So yeah, he (laughs) needs that much protein, but Ronnie Coleman, at the time, and even now, is not 
a regular human being. So <laughs> what he was doing just, but that's how that worked back then. And I think for whatever reason, that's stuck till today. Like still people will do whatever they, whatever IFBB pro is doing some things, that's exactly what they try to mirror. And it's like Brian was saying, I mean, it makes sense at the surface level. It makes a little bit of sense, but then people just need to take into account that you're not that type of human being or you're not, you're not an alien like Ronnie Coleman. You're just, you're just a regular ass human, bro. Yeah. I think now you're seeing a big trend in eating less protein. Like Patrick tour who coaches like James Hollingshed, 300 plus bodybuilder, like all those guys, he has them like way under a gram per pound of weight and protein. And I think more and more bigger bodybuilders are starting to eat less protein because they're realizing they don't need to eat that much protein. I think that's, I think there's two reasons that go into that. I think one, it's probably a good idea to reduce the amount of total protein in the diet to reduce kidney strain because individuals that are in that population that that guy coaches are doing some extracurriculars that are putting strain on their kidneys to begin with. And then, you know, when you include things like, like that, <laughs> this adage still exists that like when you become enhanced, you need more protein because you're going to be building more muscle and it literally works in the opposite direction. When you become enhanced, you need significantly less protein. Well, not significantly, but you can get away with less protein. So yeah, I'm sure he, he's had quite a bit of success with that because he actually understands what's going on at the physiological level and why you should eat less protein or why you can eat less protein. But one more thing on the high protein before we possibly move on here. I'll tell you what, when I was prepping and I was eating, you know, 400 plus grams of protein, you know what I never was hungry for some reason. And, you know, Menno has posted some articles about this, about how, you know, protein probably isn't the most satiating macronutrient. It's fine. I can respect his opinion and what he's basing that off of. But personally, in my own anecdotal experience and the experience of some of my clients that I've dieted with higher protein, when I jack that number up to 400, I am just not hungry. Not even in the slightest. Paul, I think you had uh, an experience that wasn't quite so similar. You uh, kind of opposed that idea. Um, no, I mean, I, I would just rather have some kind of food enjoyment. You know, like I, I do understand hating your food and prep and uh, eating less palatable foods has its merit. But I would like some some kind of diet enjoyment. Um, and, yeah, I'm just not willing to go there. Speaking but on uh, reducing your palatability, look for that Team Kuza hashtag boiled potato T-shirt coming very soon. It got taken down by Instagram. <laughs> huh? <laughs> it got did. It did? Yeah, it got flagged for this. This goes against our community guidelines. It might make people feel bad about themselves. And I said, what? like, what? And, and I think it was because somebody commented on it and was like, oh, I disagree or something. And then, like, not even five minutes later, it got taken down. That's wild. So already, they don't want to, they don't want people to know the secrets, those boiled potato secrets. No, but the the counterpoint was. Like, yeah, if you're under eating protein, probably there is some satiating effect where if you're eating enough protein that, yeah, I, your hunger levels may reduce. But then there's 
probably not much benefit in going higher until you hit the point that Ryan does where everything just sucks and you don't want to eat. Like, <laughs> and there's probably some, there are, there might be some benefits there to actually doing it at the end of prep, setting up your diet or setting up your macros in a way where like fitting fun foods into the diet is next to impossible because when your macros are 400 grams of protein, 80 grams of carbs and 35 grams of fat, Good luck doing any form of macro wizardry to make tasty meals with those numbers. Makes there will be no ground beef, no whole wheat pasta, and no marinara sauce. So Jay is out. He wants nothing to do with that diet. All right, so our second question here comes from, and every time I've seen this name spelled this way, this is the pronunciation, so I'm going to stick with it. It comes from at Jacob dot Brown. He's going to be like, yo, my name's fucking Jacob. What the hell's wrong with you? Um, Jacob asks, my body weight is 215 pounds. Yo, congrats on being a girthy boy. How much protein should I take in at an absolute minimum? So what are the minimum recommendations um, for protein intake based on pounds of body weight? Paul, what's the ISSN recommendation? So I, I know the, the lowest recommendation I've seen, I don't know what the conversion is for pounds, uh, 1.2 grams per kilogram. But I think a lot of the research and a lot of the consensus is something like 1.4 to 1.6 on the low yeah, end. Schoenfield just came out of the study a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they talk. Hang on, let me pull it up. The good thing is he comes out with so many studies that the statement Schoenfeld came out with a study a couple days ago just survives the test of time. It'll be true now, and it'll be true when someone watches this podcast 10 years from now. You could so, you could uh, make something up and just say Schoenfeld did a study uh, a few days like, yep. ago. <laughs> it says daily, daily intake uh, around 1.6 grams per kilo a day is the close optimal for building muscle. The highest level of protein that may yield benefit is 2.2 grams per kilo. Anything over 2.2 uh, will not help any more than 2.2 already does. So the minimum recommend, so just cut those numbers in half and that math is yeah. close enough. So 0.8 gram, you said 1.6, right? Yeah, so, yeah, point so somewhere eight. around yeah, somewhere That's around just, 0. 0.76, 0. 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. So yeah, Jakob just, for you, that's like 160. Yeah, he just validated uh, the recommended like FDA, pretty much. Well, the RDA recommendation is what it, the back of the label of like. I think standard, it's just a flat number. Yeah, it's 50. I think it's 50 grams of protein a day is like the recommended dietary allowance. I thought it was yeah. 680, but you, yeah. Funny. What is it? I don't know. I thought it was 60 or 80, but it could be 50. I haven't um, looked at it because fuck the RDA. Let's, let's look it up. RDA, protein intake. 0.8 grams per kilo. But on like the back of the label, okay, yeah. So the RDA is a moderate, modest uh, 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram. So that's roughly 0.4 grams per pound. Um, that's weird because when you look at, yeah, this amount is 56 grams per day. 
for sedentary men, 46 grams per day for the average sedentary woman. Is what this is what Healthline is telling me. When I did my uh, when I did my thesis and I had to present it, I had to bring in like four professors from other departments to like sit in and listen. And one of them was a nutritionist, and she uh, I, I started talking about recommended values and how they're how they need to be improved and blah blah blah. She she she, she interrupts me and goes, "Why would you want to eat that much protein?" And I said why do you not want to eat that much protein? <laughs> and everyone just was so quiet, just looked at me, and I was like, are you going to answer me? Are you going to answer me? <laughs> I'm at the front. She said it's not ideal. And I said, I said, do you work with athletes or general population? Most of them. She goes general population. I said, well, then I don't know why I picked you for this. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, I think you could make the argument that even for non-athletic populations, there's probably a benefit of consuming enough pro or more than the RDA of protein, especially <laughs> as you get into your older so years. Old. Yeah. Like sarcopenia, like one of the papers I put in there was talking about raising the recommended average as you age so that sarcopenia doesn't take place as quickly. Get that resistance. I mean, even if you think about it, from general, from the general population, they're usually just looking for food <clears throat> to sort of uh, quench whatever's going on with them at the time. They just eat food in general, and that's how people get themselves in trouble because they're just eating whatever. But if you eat more protein, you tend to eat less of whatever. So then you can almost get most people if you just give them very simple rules, like you know, eat some protein three to four times a day, about the size of the you know the, your hand. And then eat mostly just fruits and vegetables for everything else. And then that's how you can get people to lose weight. So it's like if you give people more protein, they'll tend to eat a lot less of all this shit that they shouldn't eat. Or like if you have people with like binging problems, and this was like something I did years ago, like and you give them like they'd go out to eat or they'd have a free meal or something. And you're like, hey, like start your meal off with like a, a light salad and then eat eat your protein first before you eat your fun foods. And then they tend to eat less and you have less of an issue after that meal to correct for. My TV's loud as shit, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like it's playing a song as you speak. It's like, bum, 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 eat enough protein, dun, 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 and you won't get small as you age. I, I kind of <laughs> liked it a little bit. <laughs> that should be the new theme song for getting performance. Yeah. That should be it. Jake, you hear that shit? Clip that. Clip it. Clip it and ship it, dog. Take those notes, Jake. No, I think, Paul, what you're saying could be... So here's like a thought experiment that I spend a lot of late hours up at night thinking about is like, what would happen to the average body weight of an American if they did uh, three things? If they stopped drinking soda. So if soda and sugar-sweetened beverages disappeared overnight and only their low-calorie or diet alternatives existed tomorrow, so they completely got rid of you know, sugar-sweetened beverages, consumed enough protein daily, which we've just said is roughly 0.8 grams per pound of body weight, and they had not a lot, but one fruit and one vegetable each day. Like, how much do you think people would lose on average over the course of you know, the next five years? I mean, yeah, all of it. Be, all of it. People, people would probably lose weight for sure. 
like significant weight, like like enough I think to wear see, like huge shifts in obesity rates. Just in overall health markers, you'd see like a giant difference just because it's, and I used to always use that cliche shit of like, you know, if the universe didn't create it, then don't eat it. And that's something I, I don't know, I used to say shit like that all the time back in the day, but it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, if you couldn't, (laughs) yeah, like that monster right there that Don has, Um, if you couldn't catch it, if you can't pick pick it from a bush, if it doesn't come out of the ground, if you were to only eat those things you'd probably stay in a pretty good body composition just by nature of just eating the right things overall. And you probably have like really good micronutrient profiles. You just feel better. And I think that we tend to, it's, it's, it's so tempting to eat shit that doesn't come out of the ground or that you don't shake just because it fucking tastes good. And our stupid caveman brain wants us to eat everything that's nutrient dense because we're just, it's nobody's fault. We're just wired like that. You know, we're just, we're slow. We don't have claws or teeth or any of that shit. So we want to get food that's just like dense with calories to keep us alive. Because if you were to take me out of this house and put me out in the wild, I'm fucking starving. And I'd really want a Snickers bar. Yeah. You'd just be laying there naked. Jason, I wish, I wish we were friends when I was taking evolutionary biology. I probably wouldn't have failed. Wilderness, Jason. I want to see wilderness, Jay. Ugh. Ugh. It wouldn't be a good look, I don't think. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be very interesting. He, he, it, we just described it. He'd be laying there naked, starving. He'd probably beat off a couple times and die. Yeah, <laughs> but you bring you bring him a Snickers and he comes back to life. <laughs> all right. Jakob, I hope you got your uh, protein intake from all of that. Just multiply your body weight times like one and you're good. Well, also, go. dude, can we Here's just say short. like, can we just say don't fucking do that? Like, that's that's insanity. Eat a gram per pound. Yeah. Like, why not? Maybe a little more. You know. Yeah. Just you're do gonna, it. You're gonna if possibly you give a shit, benefit you'll do from it. a little more. Maybe he doesn't give a shit, Paul. Maybe he just doesn't give a shit. Well, fuck it, man. Then I don't give a shit. <laughs> All right. Our next one is from at Shaw the King. Uh, wow, a king. I think is our first question from royalty. So everyone soak it in. We're in the presence of greatness. Uh, Mr. Shaw, thanks for coming by. Uh, he, he, uh, he asks, uh, what is the efficacy of a hack squat versus a BB squat? What the fuck is that? Oh, barbell squats. <laughs> Baby squat in leg development. So differentiating between the hack squat Versus a barbell squat in leg development. What hack squat are we going to go with on this one? Because like this question can really go a million different directions because there's a fucking million different hack squat machines. And, and yeah. some of them I'd are like great. To get, I'm going to okay, go ahead and get Jay. real sideways right off the bat. Okay. <clears throat> I go to a stupid LA fitness um, because it's one of the nicer gyms around, around me because most of the gyms around me suck. And they have that stupid, lin- is it a linear hack squat? Uh, is that what yeah, the dumb like, thing is? Yeah. It's a basically like a vertical leg press. Yeah, yeah where, if like, load it, where if you load it heavy enough and you actually push with your legs, you drive yourself straight out of the seat and it just rockets you off the back and you get one of those like metal poles in the back straight to the spine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ideal setup. Yeah. So Sean, if that's what you're talking about, just don't, 
fucking do oh, that yeah. thing at all. But, That's yeah, really just a calf raise machine. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, so yeah. All right, we're ruling that one out. That's not a hack squat. What's like the best version of the hack squat? Dom, Mr. Arsenal Strength himself. What's the best one? Uh, if I didn't have an Arsenal Strength, I would uh, use the Cybex. Cybex makes a really good one. It's at the really handles. Can you no. pull them in? No? No. Um, I think that's Icarian, the one you're thinking about, Ryan. Yeah, that's an Icarian one, which Arsenal does that too. But the Cybex one's at a really steep angle. So, like, the strength curve on that is Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. If you can get, like, four or five plates on each side on that thing, that's impressive. What was – because the Cybex one looks similar to, like, the one that Dorian Yates was using in, like, the old Blood and Guts videos. It's the same angle almost. And yeah. it's a really angle. Yeah. So the LA Fitness that I like grew up going to had one of those. And I remember like working my way up to like three plates on each side for what was probably like a half rep anyway. And being like, yo, that was a serious accomplishment. So those are good ones. I like the ones with the pads on the shoulders, right? Those are the ones that you need. So like the pendulum squat, I think is whoa. What just happened? Whoa. Yeah. Oh, uh, something. All I see is a black screen. Yeah, I don't see anything. The I'm back. We're back. Hey, we're back. The pendulum one is nice. But I like the, the 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 shoulder one. All right. So now that we've established what a good hack squat is, Paul, start things off here. What are some of the trade-offs between picking a barbell squat over a hack squat or vice versa? People, this is a PSA. Don't fucking say vice versa it's not vice versa it's vice versa someone said that earlier to piss me off all right paul go <laughs> so no the back squat can be a very useful tool and you know great for a good quad stimulus but you just run into the issue where either some people are really fucking bad at doing them or they're not built super duper well for them so they're back and their core can be somewhat of a limiting factor. So that, that leaves the potential that after they finish their back squats, they can still get like a further better stimulus by including more like assistance work, which could also be a hack squat or a leg press or something. Or maybe they would just be best served by um, just going with something like a hack squat or a movement that's better for them for getting a good quad stimulus and, and fewer sets or something like that. And then I think another really big issue with the the back squat that some people don't consider is uh, until they reach this point, when you get really fucking strong, dude, it can really just be a pain in the ass, dude, doing all your warm up sets, doing three to five working sets, and you're just overly gassed and spent and you still have the rest of your session to do, you know? So for some of those people picking an alternative movement, such as the hack squat, can just uh, be less time-consuming, less psychologically fatiguing, and uh, then they can just devote more of their time and energy into their other movements of the workout or other muscle groups, and then potentially even just accumulate maybe a little less fatigue over their training week as well. 
So one other thing that I like as a benefit to something like a hack squat or a leg press over a barbell squat is that every rep is standardized. Like you're forced to do it in the same exact manner so that rep progression is rep progression. Like if you are bottoming out the hack squat and standing it all the way up, it's the same rep every single time. Whereas with a back squat, it's very easy, easy to change your torso angle, change your depth very slightly, let your hips shoot up out of the hole to use more hips as opposed to quad. And it becomes a lot harder to standardize rep to rep what you're actually getting out of it. So another benefit there to kind of machines. Jay, Dom, anything you guys wanted to add in terms of choosing something like a hack squat over a over a back squat i think when you do uh the back squat there's the back squat is almost there's so much technique involved um that it is i think it's a bit beyond just an exercise like you can't you can't even compare like a bar like a dumbbell curl is an exercise but so is a barbell back squat those are not the same thing there's just technique and nobody has technique for barbell curls like who gives a fuck about your barbell curl you know with, but with a squat there's just a lot of things that you have to kind of take into account for most people some people are these super short limb and fuck those people with short limbs that can just like That's drop paul. down into a squat. yeah yeah <laughs> fuck paul That's and, uh, paul. mr no yeah you know, yeah. So um, when you're built like I am and you kind of have longer femurs, it's like I've tried everything there is to try to make myself not fold down in half and it just doesn't work. So I've had to just go to other exercises, but it's just two different things. So it's almost like the hack squat efficacy, that's a very good word, um, is, is more efficacious for some people mm. just because they're built they're not built to barbell back squat. And that's just the way that it is. And some people, you can get away with it for a while. If you're not built for it, you can get away and make progress for a while. And eventually you just kind of run into a wall where your lower back goes, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Then you go ahead and punch your ticket to snap city. So it just depends on how you're built. I fought that battle forever. Ryan remembers me doing all sorts of dumb shit just so I could squat. Like, I'm going to put my feet really close together. I'm going to put my feet apart. I'm going to point my toes out. And I always have like, I always had this new thing that was going to get me, you know, it was going to allow me to ascend to be a squat God. And it just doesn't work that way. Or a squat father. What do you, yeah, think, you, you what, can't get there. What do you think causes that mindset? Because I, I have clients now even that I'm like, hey, I think it'd be a better idea if we didn't back squat. And they're like, no, but I really want to. Like, and, and they're just so resistant. And I'm like, I think you'll get a better fucking quad stimulus if you just stop doing this shit, man. <laughs> it looks cool. I think it, I think it comes from looking cool. Like, just squat, squat and heavy. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's nothing more satisfying than, like, a heavy squat. <laughs> like, you go down and you lift that shit up. <laughs> it's exhilarating, you know? And I think people like having that in their programming, even if it means sacrificing, like, not optimal training for what they're trying to get i didn't start feeling my quads in a squat until i fixed it with you guys and my shoes so it was a horrible movement for me for a while and i was doing hack squats and feeling those a lot but then once we like really dissected my squat got some lifters and stuff then i started feeling my quads a lot more in my squat but i think like i think it's just in there because it's like a staple exercise a lot of people want to do they just think you have to squat um 
for the longest time, I didn't squat. I just used a hack squat or a leg press, um, which I think, you know, I think people get a lot less out of a squat than they think they're getting. I will say this, though. I think the squat is a great movement for somebody who is still in their early years because I think there is something to gaining that body awareness and learning how to move your body. And I think that does end up translating well to um, getting efficient with other machines a lot faster. Like just um, because you, you take somebody who doesn't know how to squat and you throw them in a new hack squat maybe, or maybe they haven't really hack squatted much before either. And they just spend every session moving their feet around. They're not sure where to put them. You know, they're, they're not sure, or maybe a different machine. They don't know where, what should break first, hips or knees, and they don't know what they're doing there. Or maybe they're doing some other movement and they're trying super hard to stay super upright and shit like that. I don't know, just all kinds of stuff. But if they have that body awareness and they know how to squat, they, they can find that good position for them really easily in other machines. And also a lot of times potentially avoid really stupid, simple nagging injuries as well. People really seem to latch on to the squat more than any other exercise. Like you can very easily convince someone to swap out like a flat bench for dumbbells or, you know, swap out like a conventional deadlift for an RDL or a stiff leg deadlift, something like that. It's just really hard to get people to kind of lose that grasp on squats on the men's side. And both of it, I think it's just like stigma, right? It's like on the men's side, it's like that hardcore machismo kind of thing of like, well, if you want huge legs, you got to put a bar on your back and squat some heavy ass weight, brother. It's like the Tom, the stuff that's existed since like the time of like Tom Platts and Arnold Schwarzenegger and those like famous, you know, posters of them ass to grass with 405 500 pounds on their back looks cool they have huge legs you're like okay you know the connection is there i think on the women's side of things it's like got a squat for a big booty like, no you don't at all ever but it's like you know you see it makes a good instagram video it's like you know a girl with a big butt in the gym squatting ass to grass got those weird scrunchy shorts on look like the most uncomfortable thing known to man. And like the butt cheeks are just like, ah, hungry for shorts. And it looks horrible. It looks terrible. Bad experience. I've had wedgies like that in the gym and I did not enjoy them whatsoever, but like, you know, it sells the shorts. It sells the squats. It sells people who don't know better on squatting for a big booty. Yep. I also think, uh, I would like to, not blame some of it, but I think maybe blame is the word, uh, that power building craze. I think we can blame some of this stuff on that because in, I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point in time on other podcasts, but I think that power building thing just made everybody think that they had to squat bench and deadlift. And I remember there were days where I'd get there. Were time, there was a time where you could go to a squat rack and there, nobody ever went there unless they were, you know, curling like they weren't supposed to or doing something weird in there and then there just came this time where you just get to the squat rack and you'd be like and you just have to wait for a half an hour because everybody's got their squat shoes and their belts <laughs> and their fucking wraps and shit and they're <laughs> everybody's squatting and then right after squatting they deadlift because that's the sequence that you have to go and it just didn't it's still sitting around where people think they have to squat and because they have to you got to put up a big big number on squats and i think that's 
I, I guess we can kind of blame some of that on power building. Um, and I guess I could probably summarize my opinions on the whole power building thing right now. Fuck power building. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not, it's not complete nonsense, but it's like basically saying that, uh, I would like to be a good runner. So I'm going to swim. Um, it, Hell yeah. It just, uh, that's, it's just remnant. It's just sort of stuck around for this long. I don't know why, but like you said, people are just stuck on that exercise. Paul, a counterpoint to what you said about keeping squats in to someone for someone who's like a beginner. So I don't know if it's as much beneficial from a skill acquisition point or of like, you know, them learning how to move their body through space um, as it is like someone can get away with squatting as their predominant movement early on because they are so weak. And as you get better at squatting, you get stronger and the absolute loads that you can move become so great that it becomes more of just this like global fatigue exercise than it becomes a specific quad exercise or a deadlift becomes a specific glute exercise. It's just like you outgrow those movements as you get stronger and more advanced. I think you definitely do. Like you're right. But I'll I'll tell you my experience is that getting like going through that, learning how to squat, squatting shitty, learning how to squat better, bench pressing shitty, getting nagging injuries, learning how to bench press better for myself, I feel like has translated really well to other variations, you know, and making some of those like, you know, like because the first time you squat and you get under a bar, you don't use your glutes like at all. You know, like, but you learn how to cue, like, you know, bracing and you, you learn how to brace, you learn how to cue your glutes, you know how to track your, you learn how to uh, track your knees properly because like, if you get huge amounts of knee cave on a squat, like a lot of people are going to develop issues. Yeah, a little bit is probably fine, you know, and there's that whole argument or whatever. And then, uh, what? yeah, I mean, I, I just think that body awareness does translate a little better, you know, and, um, you know, you learn how to you know, where, where does my arm need to be on a bench press, uh, with a barbell to, to, for me to not get shoulder tendonitis and impingements. And then you can very easily translate that to like, Oh, this is the type of machine that I need to be in where I can get in this position, need to raise the seat height to here. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, I'm definitely someone who thinks that yeah, when you start resistance training, you should expose yourself to as many movements as you possibly can. Like a first, like, I hate when I, have someone come to me and they're like, yeah, you know, I've been lifting weights for like eight, eight months. You know, I want to do my first bodybuilding show. And they're like, yeah, I don't do, you know, I don't do deadlifts because they're a bad movement for bodybuilding. I don't do squats because they're a bad movement for bodybuilding. It's like, well, you should learn how to do all of these exercises because there's going to be a life after bodybuilding where, you know, when you're in year five and you've never done a squat and you move like the tin man with a barbell on your back, you're going to wish that when you had started, you hadn't been so dogmatic about the exercises and you had like tried a wide variety of these different exercises. Dude, I get that all the time or not. I mean, since I started coaching a good number of times, I've gotten clients with years of experience and I asked them to do very basic fundamental movements and it just looks awful. And I'm like, you've never done this stuff before. Like you, you have no idea how to brace. You have no idea how to keep a neutral spine. Um, I, even I'll ask them to do like a lateral raise. I'm like, what in the shit are you doing? No, but yeah, I think, 
Yeah, man. All that stuff, man. I work with a guy, and I love I love him so much, and he won't uh, mind if I make fun of him here. He's got a 600-plus-pound deadlift, and he can't do a fucking RDL. He has no idea how to do an RDL. When he does an RDL, this is what he does. Instead of hinging his hips, he just goes, Kier! a little spinal, and then, eh. like, stick, stick your butt back. He's like, okay, uh, eh. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? So I got him, like, up against the wall with a PVC pipe. I'm like, okay, start four inches away from the wall. Now push your hips back to the wall. It's like, I feel like an idiot. And I was like, I bet you look like an idiot too. And you should feel like an idiot because you don't want to fucking hinge your hips. Like learn how to do that and imagine how much you'll deadlift. Can't I just use purely my spine? No, you can't use your spine because your spine has reached its limit. I get a lot of people that like, uh, when they go to contract their glutes, they always hyperextend their back. And then they'll be like, oh, I can't do glute exercises. I'm like, no, you can. You're just every time you're, you're, you're hyperextending backwards. I don't know why. Man, shout outs to Mike Isratel. Love him. Love him. That just severe spinal. It's just how I squat, guys. Okay. Um, all right. Last one on our list here. And this is a this is an this is a question that the four of us do not have a great answer to because it is a, a pretty advanced question and it's, you know, the answer is probably more nuanced than we can provide here. Has but the- living La Villa Loca, a little Enrique Iglesias shout out. It's Enrique, right? Living La Vida Loca. Uh, it's Ricky Martin, dude. Ricky Martin. Ricky wow. Martin. Disrespectful. Wow. I am what sorry. Kind of what kind of Floridian are you? <laughs> One who doesn't spend much time in Miami, I guess. So official apology to Ricky Martin, a lover of the podcast. Sorry, Ricky. Um, Living La Villa Loca says, every time I do biceps, I get cramps in both arms after when I try to contract like Charlie horse bad. Um, So what would be some possible explanations? What do you guys see as like the low hanging fruit, the easy recommendations that you would give this individual? I think Um, maybe heavy salt before you train. And make sure you have a good amount of sodium before you go work out. Um, Paul is going to have a really good comment about training, so I'm just going to leave that for him. Uh, and then, like I was telling you guys before, I mean, theoretically, it does it's not supposed to work because there's not enough of quinine in tonic water to actually help with cramping. But I give it to clients when they have bad cramps. They have diatonic water, and it helps with their cramping. But the therapeutic dose is a lot lower than what's actually in tonic water. But they give tonic water to like arthritis patients that cramp a lot. Uh, people have like rheumatoid, all that stuff. So I have a few clients that drink like eight ounces while they train. That's interesting. I should have uh, I should ask you earlier because I have a client who is the head PT director at a retirement home, and he has a woman there, older. I'm sure she has arthritis. And every time she flexes just her right leg, every time she flexes her right knee, her hamstring just immediately cramps. So I might uh, might tell him to try a little uh, little tonic water. But Paul, let's hear some uh, let's hear some training considerations here. Yeah, dude. So I, I used to have this issue a lot, man, um, where I would just I would train, and it was really bad for my pecs my biceps, my triceps, and sometimes my lats, and my quads too. Uh, 
So basically what I found, and, and I wasn't even trying to stop it originally. I, I just went through periods where I was like, hey, let, let me see if I can get by really well on lower volume training. And I've sort of found a, there to be a relationship, at least for myself, with the amount of volume I'm doing and those cramps that would last for several hours post-workout. And uh, so I, I had two major discoveries. One, for a lot of muscle groups, I just didn't need the amount of volume that I was doing per week, and especially within an individual session. And that if I did less, a lot of times the, the cramps would be less severe or I wouldn't get them. So I... What, what I started doing in general is just using a lot less volume, but whenever I wanted more training volume, I would increase my frequency and get volume that way. Does that make sense? So yeah, like- Yeah, kind of eight, spread it out so it's not so much in one in one dose. Yeah, that way I could, if, if I felt like I wanted, you know, if I was in a specialization phase or I wanted to see like, you know, my response to higher volume, um, rather than just stack on any one particular day, I would spread that over the week and I'd find that I, I could approach higher volumes once again, but with a lot less issues as far as cramping. And uh, I did sort of anecdotally notice that it seems like there's a relationship as well with taking a lot of very uh, exaggerated stretch, great range of motion movements closer to failure and my volume relating to that. And so I, I, I'm not exactly sure like why that is. I don't know if that causes like um, inhibition of like the Golgi muscle tendon or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, seem, it sort of seemed like more volume of very high exaggerated stretch movements also caused it or made it more likely. Okay, anything you wanna add? Um, I guess I'm, I don't want to say I'm a, I'm a chronic cramper like Paul, but I definitely have dealt with cramps in my lower body just as long as I can remember. Um, and back in the day, you know, as a kid playing lacrosse and skating, it was always, you know, the coach would just give me some Gatorade and that would make it go away. And then I think about both of those sports, especially speed skating involves a ton of volume. Like you're basically just doing an included single leg squat for a really long time. Um, and then as I got older and got into bodybuilding, I would have that same issue, but it was also volume because back in the day, you know, my leg training was like four sets of squats, four sets of leg press, four sets of leg extension, uh, walking lunges, hamstring curls. It was like just every exercise I knew was that was my leg session. And I remember just cramping up to the point where I just have to stand still because my quad would cramp up and then I couldn't bend my knee because then my hamstring would cramp up. So I'd just be stuck. Um, and I've kind of just dealt with it. And, you know, sometimes it would happen in the middle. There's nothing worse than waking up in the middle of the night and your hamstrings and your quads are cramped because you're laying down and you have to like roll yourself onto the floor. And then I would remember just kind of like getting to the bathroom, just eating some salt. So I think it was a combination of like Paul said, volume, um, and then also like Dom said, you know, it's probably like a sodium imbalance, hydration, all those things probably come into play a bit. Um, but for living La Villa Loca, is that La Villa? Living La Villa Loca? Um, I'd probably address all those things. Volume, uh, sodium balance, and also hydration. I, uh, That's all. Probably 
you like you probably include maybe potassium in that too right because i think i've found for myself maybe that that that's been a little helpful too and having some extra potassium in there because um I mean, sort of in their nature, sodium is a little more excitatory and potassium uh, relaxatory, right? Is that a word, relaxatory? Is it is now? now. Huh? You made it one. Relaxatory? What, what is the correct word? Relaxative. Relaxative. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I think there's, and it's, you know, there's probably, or there's a, a possibility that it has something to do with the nervous system as well. Like yeah. some sort of overstimulation or overexcitation of the nervous system that is persisting after exercise has stopped, creating the, some sort of spasmodic activity in the muscle. That's the current theory is that, yeah, that, that, basically full relaxation at once a muscle's been fatigued to a certain point um just doesn't take place and it's just like an irregular excitatory actions and yeah it just can't relax as well um but like like you started this off saying nobody really fucking knows or ever has a good answer <laughs> um like i remember like i would ask this or like i'd be in class and other people would ask professors all throughout undergrad and masters and you know, somebody would be like, oh, usually it was like people just say electrolytes, you know, but sometimes that doesn't fucking fix it. And yeah, nobody has a good answer. And if you look into it online, it's just it's impossible. And, and it's probably because there are a lot of different contributing factors. But I think the most uh, the most common one just seems to relate to fatigue and probably the 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 way you manage that is by managing your training volume and your training stress, you know. So if you were looking to set up a study on kind of the sources, the root cause of cramping, what would your study design even look like? Because cramping in and of itself is random in nature. You're not going to know when you're going to start cramping. And I would assume that inducing cramping via either electrolyte depletion, uh, dehydrating individuals, putting them through, you know, overly stimulating i'm i'm sure that would be tough to get through an irb like hey you know we're gonna intentionally dehydrate these people and remove all their electrolytes and just fuck them up with training like do you say yes and they're like ah no probably not so i would assume that this is something that's very very hard to study and maybe that's why there is that lack of research or lack of understanding there yeah Everyone. I feel like a lot of it would have to be more case study stuff, though. Like if you had a certain population that tended to experience in them at a higher rate and then you would just measure what they're going through. And yeah, I think they've yeah. done studies like that where they measure like plasma volume and what's in the plasma. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's what makes it so hard is like they're they're like I'm pretty sure there's data showing that electrolyte balance and plasma volume and hydration and fluid balance and all that. Is totally fine and like people's like will cramp you know fucking cramping man cramping questions are always the hardest when you get a client that says hey man i'm cramping all the time what do you even what, what what's your go-to i usually just gatorade zero increase the sodium in your diet then that's where i start i would ask are you salting your food 
Yeah. And it's usually no. It's usually no, I don't like salt. What? <laughs> what? Salt, as a white person, salt is the finest of all the spices. It is truly what you add to make a meal that much more amazing. I'm down with MSG. You know me. No, I got a I got a call from a client once. Um, it was at 10:30 at night. Daniel, if you're watching this, I love you, man. This is still one of the fondest memories that I have of you. Calls me at 10:30 at night, and he's like screaming. He's like, "Man, both of my hamstrings are cramping. I'm stuck on the floor in the in my garage. Like, I don't think my wife can hear me. Like, what do I do?" Die. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, you're an hour and a half away from me right now. You want me to drive to you and? and stretch you out like what uh what do you want me to do here yeah just i don't know cry about it die about it crawl like, up onto his truck dude, start the truck and just lay there and wait for it all to be over yeah the only yep. way out <laughs> all right live in la via loca hope we uh helped with your cramping problems if none of our suggestions help and this chronic cramping persists what do we recommend guys See a doctor. Go to the motherfucking doctor. Go to the doctor because none of us here are doctors. None of us here are doctors. The advice that we give is not the advice of doctors. All right. That concludes us for the day. Unless you guys want to circle back to anything. Yay, nay, anything in between. All right. The questions that Paul got on his story. Fantastic, guys. Keep them coming and we will keep answering them. But until that point comes... You'll have to just wait around and just keep refreshing YouTube over and over until you see it pop up. Gifted performance, podcast, body composition, Q&A, number, whatever. It makes your day. You're welcome. We love you. And stay gifted. Bye. Bye. There you go, Paul. Hit him with it.